You thought you were over all the Giovanni Reina, Greg Berhalter drama from the World Cup, didn't you? Well, boy, were we wrong. It's a bombshell news carried by some serious blackmail allegations, and we're going to try to make sense of it all for you today, as well as look at the latest results in the Premier League. The supporter section starts right now. Well, welcome into the supporter section. Grab your scarves, get ready for another episode. I'm here with Brandon Pasnick and Stephen Curl back for another one. And guys, we've had a lot happen since the last time we were as a group on the podcast. We've had the New Year's, which welcome to 2023, everybody. And we've had some big moves in the transfer market already as January window is open. Some big games, but most notably a quick reaction of your guys' Uh, feelings about Cristiano Ronaldo going to Saudi Arabia playing for Al Nasir. Steven, I'll start with you. Are you in your sad boy hours right now? Oh my gosh, how great can this player get? He's already conquered Europe and now he's getting ready to conquer Asia, baby. I'm so excited <laughs> to watch Cristiano Ronaldo win the Saudi Arabian League, um, go into the Asian Champions League. It's going to be a huge step in his career. Um, no, I'm sad. Uh, just about as sad as Cristiano Jr., but, you know, I'm not surprised. He's, what, 38? Um, I'm probably least as less upset than a lot of other people, honestly. Um, you know, it's Messi's three years younger than him. A lot of that comparison. We'll see where Messi's at in three years. Um, sad to see Ronaldo. Maybe another interview will get him somewhere else. But, yeah, it's, it's all right. I'm okay. Brandon? You know, I think he's in a great place. He gets to go play with Petey Martinez. <laughs> Petey Martinez, excuse me. I'm already laughing. I can't even say that with a straight face. M- okay, local MLS starting all-star, all-star there. Yeah, I'm not too sure about that. But like I tweeted out, it, it honestly feels like a Stephen Curl fever dream. How did Petey Martinez get a move to a lesser league than the MLS? He was South American Player of the Year, whatever, that's weird. And then Cristiano Ronaldo, two years later, ends up on the same team as him. What a, like, weird situation. I don't know. I'm sad. I think, and I, we've talked about this before, he had a lot left in him. But whatever, go take the paycheck and enjoy the rest of your life. Also, a quick note. Fired his agent too. Uh, I think that came out today. Um, Mendez is gone. Really? So, yes. Fired his agent. So makes the move. Fires his agent. Pretty interesting. We'll probably talk about it on another pod. But wow, I had missed that bit of information. Yeah, for me, it's just like seeing the comments about him and Xavi in 2016 of like, oh, he's in Qatar. Who cares? Whatever. It's like he's irrelevant now. Look what you have become. And, um, yeah, it's just it's just not what we expect. It's not what we wanted. Going from a guy who was in the Premier League Player of the Year candidacy last season, made the best 11 in many people's lists, is now playing in Saudi Arabia. I don't know. It's a pretty drastic drop off the face of the earth. And it seems, from an outside perspective, to be all about the money, which is this is a guy who already has already been all about the money. He's probably close to a billionaire prior to this contract if not already there and it's just kind of convenient for him now to disappear into the memory of soccer um in the deserts of saudi arabia but you know happy for him he got what he wanted at the end of the day 
we can't decide what people want. That's their decisions to make. Uh, but, you know, that's some drama. We got more tea time, our first segment of the day. A little bit of drama involving the likes of Greg Berhalter and Giovanni Reina. This was something that came out recently that during the 2022 World Cup in Qatar, that Giovanni Reina was upset at Greg Berhalter for his lack of playing time. Greg told him early on at camp that, hey, you're probably going to have a smaller role than what you might expect. And Gio didn't take that very well. And you know what, Steven? Someone else didn't take that very well. His parents. Now let's dive into that. I'll give you a bit of a platform to tell us all the tea that the people need to know about this drama. Yes, absolutely. Let's get right into it. Cole, great recap of the previous drama uh, that we thought was big. But let's get into what we're talking about right now, which is Giovanni Reina's parents playing mommy and daddy ball, uh, U.S. soccer version. So basically, I like to break this down into four segments for you to make a long story short. We have the chain of events that has happened, right? So first things first, we have the allegations of Greg Berhalter being blackmailed at the World Cup by an outside source. I don't know how much clickbait thumbnail you can get other than that. Um, that's sequence number one. Second thing that happens in that is Greg Berhalter creates a Twitter account that he has not previously had an unverified Twitter account and releases a two page statement via him and his wife, Rosalind, explaining an incident 30 years ago um, that had to do a case of domestic violence when he was 18 years old and they were just dating um, basically around this blackmail, we put two and two together. He kind of gets ahead of this story that we still don't know what's going on. Um, and talks about how an outside, he doesn't use the term blackmail though. I think that's very interesting and important to note. He doesn't use blackmail in this statement, but he talks about that somebody had something that would quote, take him down. Um, so pressure on his family, um, himself and the position of being the manager of the U.S. Men's national team. So that's number two. So he releases a statement to kind of get ahead of this curve. Um, third thing in this sequence is U.S. soccer comes out and talks about investigating um, this kind of broad thing of an investigation going on between people in and outside of the organization um, to do with all of these allegations. And then last but not least, this is where the rain has come in. Um it's kind of, you know, all about that Giovanni Reina stuff. This is where mom and dad get involved. It's no secret they were not happy about the lack of their son's playing time at the World Cup whatsoever. Um, Claudio uh, talking to old teammates like Brian McBride, um, who is the general manager of U.S. soccer. And we find out um, via Danielle, Claudio's wife, um, also a former U.S. women's national team player, that she – that she contacted her friend that also just so happened to be the president of U.S. soccer. Um, you know, high friends and high places, right? Um, Ernie Stewart talking about this incident that had happened with Greg Berhalter and his now wife, as Greg Berhalter's wife, Rosalind, was teammates with Danielle back in college at the University of North Carolina. Um, and all these allegations of blackmail she clears up. I never tried to get Greg fired, blackmail, like she kind of denied that stuff. Also saying this was just me. This was all me. My husband did not speak to anybody. Um, 
Claudia Reyna, uh, I believe, is a chairman or president, is in some sort of leadership role at uh, Austin FC and the MLS. So that's honestly as short as I can make it. There's a lot to unpack there. Um, so I guess, Cole, Brandon, initial reactions to the news, expound a little bit more. All of this coming in waves over the past, honestly, 48 hours. How are we feeling? It's it's insane. It honestly is insane. And we just, why can't we have anything be normal? This is, this, first of all, this is not how people act. This is not how you react to your son not getting to play at the World Cup. Put into consideration a lot of things. He's a young kid. Maybe he didn't show up how Greg wanted him to show, whatever. Like, that's the manager's decision. That's just how it is. You don't bring up something personal from 30 plus years ago involving two teenage kids who are now happily married over 25 years. Like, that's just insane for someone to go back and blackmail someone. I'm going to use the word blackmail. Use that information to try and bring them down in the public eye, which is just so undeserving of anybody, and let alone the head coach of the U.S. men's national team. Um, that's pretty insane. doesn't matter who you are. Um, but, yeah, it's just I cannot believe this is a real story that we are talking about. Uh, I think – a lot of people have been reiterating the same thought of just, well, are we really letting daddy ball happen in the public eye? All this different stuff. It's just fascinating to me. And I, I feel bad for the Burhalters. I mean, imagine their kids finding out about this, like mom and dad had a fight that mom got hurt from dad. And just like, now they have to explain that to their kids if they didn't know about it. It's just like, I don't know. It's a horrible memory. And the fact that someone's been sitting on that and decided at this time to let it out is pretty insane to me. And a quick thing as well, just to give some some background about the statement, if you have not looked at Greg Berhalter's statement with his wife, go look at it. But basically, just to summarize it, I think it's important. Um, they had gotten in an argument. Uh, Greg talked about that he had kicked his wife in the legs um, and that they broke up for seven months or so. They both had consulted their families about it, told their friends. Greg Berhalter said that he went to counseling. They got back together by the support of both of their families and have been happily married and both say it's an isolated incident, all these things. So didn't just want to loosely throw out domestic violence out there. Again, Greg condemns his own actions. Um, but again, 30 years ago, 18 years old at the time, and they since then have worked through it and talk about how great they are together as a couple, as a family. And also that Claudia Reyna and Danielle Reyna are so close by both quoting like family with Greg and um, Rosalind as well. Go ahead, Brandon. Just want to give that context. It's it's so weird, and I'm really starting to feel bad for Greg. I do feel bad for Greg. All the the stuff he's been put through, like during the World Cup, like he people are mad at him making choices for the team that he thinks is best for the team. Could you imagine? I mean. I don't know. And then it comes out and Giorena is now. I, I don't get it. You know what? This It just screams entitlement to me. Like, and it's obviously been passed down to Giorena the way he acted in camp. Like, it's it's just getting more and more ridiculous. And we can call it blackmail because that's really what it is. You're trying to stir the pot. They are pretty active people in the soccer scene. Whether it gets out, I mean, it would eventually get out to the media. Um, so that is definitely, <laughs> that's definitely blackmail. Um, 
Yeah, Claudio Reyna had nothing to do with it, but he supports his wife. Um, yeah, no, definitely was giving her a, a nudge saying, hey, why don't you go talk to What's-His-Face and see what we can do about this. I know a lot of people don't like Greg, and so they're trying to get him out, but um, this is just way, way, way out of bounds. And everything that you guys have said, it's just, it's just sad at this point for Greg you know, already in a weird time. It, does he have the job? Does he not? I don't know. Trying to figure out all these things. And then having to deal with family stuff that's brought up now to the public. We're playing mommy daddy ball like we're in kindergarten t-ball or like your first year of travel baseball. Like what is going on? I don't know. But it's I'm just all upset about it, to be honest. Yes. And what makes this timing that much more impeccable is. Greg Berhalter currently is at a contract with the U.S. Men's National Team. Um, contract talks are in the works right now. Uh, so the timing of everything is also important to note as well. U.S. Soccer has come out and said that they are still potentially um, considering Greg Berhalter to be the U.S. Men's National Team coach. Also, I believe this came out today, Greg Berhalter saying on a talk show that he wants to stay with the program. Um, that's kind of been up in the air. So now we have intention that Greg wants to stay and we have us soccer saying we're still considering him. Uh, leads me to my next question. Um, do we think Greg Berhalter is going to stay? We'll just start with that. Do we think Greg Berhalter will be, uh, the manager of the U S men's national team going forward? Us soccer's already come out and, uh, brought up their interim coach that's going to be there for the January camp and assistant of Greg that has been um, with the New Zealand uh, national team as well and been on Greg's coaching staff for a while. But uh, do we think Greg is going to be the man in this next cycle going forward? Man, it's just like, it's such a loaded question, <laughs> right? There's just so much. Um, and what's interesting is like, they had some time, you know, prior to the end of his contract on New Year's Day and the U.S. being eliminated from the World Cup to probably have, you know, a public backing of Greg. Um, like, it's a decent amount of time to review someone's performance, decide, okay, you know, we're happy with where you got this young squad. We think moving forward that you can continue to develop them in a good way. So we feel good about 2026. That would be a pretty fair amount of time for someone to say, okay, yeah, we feel good. We're going to give you the chance. However, the U.S. Soccer Federation has not done that. They have not publicly backed him in that amount of time. And now we're left with this loose-ended time of just how long might it be. We're not saying that we're in a coaching search outright. It's just sort of strange. And so for me, I would say the odds of him being back have to be slim. If they just haven't brought him back at this point, I don't know, that's just how I, I would feel about it. Um, but, but I don't know who they're going to get. If it's not Greg, then who? And that's the hard part for me to see. It's like people will say these names and like I watched a couple people talk about the Moroccan coach and they're just, you know, and people also talking about they don't want someone that's been a part of the U.S. Soccer Federation. They don't want a national former national team player. They don't want someone from New York or New Jersey. That's been a bit of a joke that people have always come from that. Um, they want someone just that's never been involved, someone new that's just a soccer manager that can come in and rejuvenate this squad to do great things. Well, there's not really a whole lot of names and people that are going to be able to do that. 
unless you are really scraping the bottom of the barrel to get someone to come in, which then brings you back, okay, well then, why not just stay with what you have? Yeah, evidently, it's done you some good. So, I don't know. It's just such a hard question to answer. I don't think that there's really any good candidate, to be honest, that's going to fit your program and it's going to take you anywhere, to be honest. But Brandon, what do you have on your side of it? Like I said in a previous podcast, I think I was fine with keeping him after the World Cup. And then he came out and said that thing that might have disrupted the locker room. Again, we don't really know. There haven't been really anything to come out like from the locker room. We just know Giovanni Rain is upset. And people are assuming that it's it's messed up the locker room. If the locker room is fine with what he did talking at that um, leadership conference, I'm fine with keeping him as a, as a coach. Remember, we don't have to qualify. We're already in. We have, hopefully, we'll be playing in the Copa America. Hopefully. Which will be a really good challenge for everybody. And he got us to this one. I would love to see him with this group of guys fulfill like just the eight year cycle. I, I don't know. And it was not even going to be a full eight years. It would be like seven and a half or whatever it is. Cause we took forever to hire a coach. But, um, and now like, I know this is more of the emotional side. It's like, now I want him to stay yeah. because of this Giovanni Reina stuff. And now I don't even care that he said anything in the first place. Right. And I know we have to sort of keep them as two separate ins- instances, but it's like, I don't know. I I think I think the U.S. Soccer Federation will keep Greg Berhalter as the manager. Um, I think they're probably inquiring about other coaches, maybe like the Wolf guy from Austin. Why would he leave, though? I think that'd be a great pickup. But then he has to come in. He'll have four years. But I don't know. It's I don't know who else would would fit the bill. So. I think, again, U.S. Soccer Federation has already lied privately for Greg on behalf of Greg. They've also sort of are in a weird way standing up for him during this situation, saying that they're investigating his situation. Also, anybody that's around U.S. Soccer Federation, like trying to pull a a coup. I don't know. It's so weird. I'm so I'm, I'm just in a weird place with the whole thing. But I do think we'll keep Greg as our coach. And I am. 65% 65% okay with it. Maybe 70. Yeah. Yeah. And I think something you, you touched on there that I thought about a little bit, but maybe not as much is we've already qualified. There is no qualifying campaign. There are no dire matches. Great. You could say every match is dire or whatever, but listen, time heals all wounds. It's do we think if Greg's going to be the coach for this next 2026 world cup, this will not be, I, I mean, I don't think it's crazy to say this will not be even in the news at all in three, three years. No way. Right. So he has time to build up rapport with his team, time to build up a relationship with Giovanni Reina. Heck, I mean, maybe these you have to assume that these incidents are. Maybe you don't. I don't know. That's why they, there's an investigation going on. But you hope that these incidents are isolated as far as Giovanni Reina having no idea what his parents were doing um, and. Reina came out and admitted he was wrong. That's huge of him, first of all. Admitted he was wrong with his attitude prior to the World Cup. Talks about that. Talks about wanting to die for this country on the field, all the effort that he puts forth. And Greg Berhalter even recently came out and said he wished that he didn't say that about Giovanni Reina at the leadership conference. So you have, in my opinion, some people handling this pretty mature, all the while 
Greg is under pressure knowing that people are talking about him behind his back, uh, about this incident that happened third, like to compose yourself like this, I'm kind of with Brandon. It's beforehand. I'm, He's done it well, man. He's composed yeah. himself really well. And I think that speaks a lot about uh, a manager. And also, one more thing I want to touch on is how he released his statement. Creating an unverified Twitter account and tweeting out a two-page letter. That's so weird. That's like urgent, get to the press. It was a very well-crafted statement. Um, but it almost seemed like, you know, obviously, like when this comes out, I guess you try to beat the person to the punch or whatever it is. But it's just there's so much there. There's so much more there. I'm really curious uh, what this investigation finds. Um, maybe one more question for you guys. And maybe we move on to the second segment talking about the Premier League. But um, does this affect Giovanni, uh, Giovanni Reina's playing time under Greg Berhalter if he does stay? Are we thinking maybe he's out of the first few teams and friendly six months? Should he be punished? Um, I don't know. Um, yeah. How does this affect Giovanni's Reina's playing time under Greg Berhalter if he stays or if a new coach comes in? Is it going to be hands off for the Reina family? Or, I mean, is Claudio and Danielle Reina going to be barred from U.S. men's national team games? Like, these are things that we actually have to talk about. Like, if these two people, Claudio and Danielle, end up being found guilty or deemed blackmailing of Greg Verhalter. What's the situation with Gio? Is he going to be on the field? Mm. Well, I will say that, yes, he'll still play. I don't think there will be any issues of him playing. Um, he's a bright young star, has a very, very high ceiling. Again, not one of our best players yet, um, but definitely will be hopefully in the future. Um I don't think even if it's Greg, whoever it is, he'll be playing unless he is tied in with this this whole coup thing, um, blackmailing, whatever you want to call it. And yeah, Claudio should lose his job probably. Um, and yeah, no no ties to U.S. soccer to be honest. I'm, it's just not appropriate ever. Think think of this happening in a, a normal job. Like we're in a, like a different job that's not in the in the face of the media. Like you would lose your job and never be welcome back. <laughs> so it's just like well, I don't know. They're probably going to get off scot free, to be honest, and just move on. But it's going to be weird if that happens. I think there will be punishments for the Reina parents, and and there there definitely should be. Do me a favor. Think about this: the meme of 2026 of Salt Bay cooking steaks for the Reina family as they are all barred from watching the World Cup of U.S. soccer. Just Maybe Claudio it. wants to be the head coach. Maybe that's what he's trying to get at. I don't know. I don't know. Cole? I don't think it's going to affect Gio, uh, honestly, unless unless he was like, Mom, Dad, please, I need something, you know, like involved, like Brandon <clears> just said. But I don't envision him actually having any role. He's just a kid. He's just trying to play a sport that he loves. Um, and sometimes parents act out of you know our purview what we can see and that's just up to them like there's no controlling you know people sometimes and so i think geo will be unaffected honestly i'm sort of on the redemption arc of greg and geo if that gets to happen um just to work together geo might in the future become a guy that greg is going to be heavily relying on in 2026 so no need to fracture that relationship over something that 
neither of them really had any control over, to be honest. Um, so I think, yeah, peace is probably the best answer and redemption and grace and times when it's not deserved. That's a good word, isn't it? Um, but yeah, I think, I think, I think Gio would just be just fine um, moving forward. But we're also going to continue to move forward. That was a good segment. Our tea time of the day, uh, Greg Berhalter, Giovanni Reina. Let us know if you think Greg will be back. Will he be the U.S. Men's National Team coach? And does Giovanni Reina deserve the chance to continue to play for the national team despite what his parents have done? We'd love to hear you guys' thoughts. Leave a comment down below if you have something good to say. Well, we are back on the Premier League season. After the new year, we have a whole slate of games to cover. We haven't seen you guys in a little bit, so we got a lot to catch up on. Match Week 17, Brandon, get us kicked off with Leeds and Man City. Yeah, Match Week 17, we, we previewed it because that was the Match Week that was ending. Leeds, Man City, like you said, and I think we all sort of thought um, this was going to be a blowout, and it sure was. Uh, Man City wins 3-1. to one. Yeah, there's not much to talk about, to be honest. Leeds were on the ropes the entire first half. Um, they were only down a goal at half. It could have been three at half, to be honest. Um, Grealish had a really bad miss in the first half. But makes up makes it up by intercepting a pass and assisting Holland. He then goes on to assist Holland again for Holland's second of the night. I think you called a hat trick for Holland Cole. Um, that did not happen, but he was close. He was close. Uh, but yeah, Man City they are flying. They're very good. Um, Leeds did a, get a consolation goal, like I said, in the seventy third minute. Um, but yeah, Holland is now on 21 Premier League goals in 16 Premier League games. Um, people, that is scary. That is very, very scary. Yeah, moving on. Can he on. get to 40? Can he realistically get to 40 goals? Yes. Yes. That's insane to me, honestly. <laughs> he will. He probably well, will. Well, poor Leeds had to go from Man City to Newcastle. <laughs> Um, not fun to go from the second team in the league to the third team in the league. Um, but they go from that to Newcastle, and it's just a rainy game, a scrappy game. Uh, we got to see Tyler Adams be a little scrappy in this one, be a little, uh, I don't know what, I don't know how to say this without actually saying it. We're <laughs> um, getting involved into some extracurricular activities, um, which was fun to see. We see all on the internet a little bit. Uh, but this one ends no, no. Uh, for Newcastle, they do keep another clean sheet. Um, but Leeds, they get important points. And I think we were kind of writing down our notes prior to this. And we're trying to decide, you know, what are Leeds? And they're sort of exactly what we think they are. Um, like, they're just not bottom dwellers. They're also not a top-tier club. They're currently just sort of riding that middle-of-the-table kind of feeling. And that's not a great thing or a bad thing. It's just Jesse Marsh is finding some identity with this club. Um, and it's scrappy, it's hustle, it's, you know, full 90 minutes, you know, you can, you just, you just know what to expect from Leeds. Um, and yeah, they get a tie against West Ham, which was nice for them. They were down, uh, they let the lead get a, they had a lead, let it get away 2-1 to West Ham. And then they get an equalizer from Rodrigo, who also gets his goal tally up to 10, which fair game to him. Um, but yeah, Leeds are just sort of what we think they are guys. Um, not much sad on that one as well. No, nothing for me. They're exactly where they think or where we think they are, they should be, and they'll be fighting relegation probably come the end of the year. But um, they're just sitting right above it for right now. Yeah, 
they'll they'll be okay, I think, in the long term. Uh, but Arsenal, they had some important games as well. They took on Brighton, which Brighton um, they've won the last three to six, but not not so much against Arsenal. Um, Arsenal puts up four against Brighton. It ends up four two. Um, Arsenal get off the they get off things quickly in the second minute. They get a goal. Um, Saka, he's been so good this season. Um, Odegaard gets on the action and Kedia Martinelli, I think, had that kind of like was it near post goal that he beat the keeper low. Um, but hey, Arsenal, they're still high flying. They've only lost one game this season, which is just insane that we're in January. If you had said that a long time ago, you would probably be in disbelief that they've had one loss um, thus far. Uh, they looked really good, but things were a little bit differently when they got to Newcastle. Newcastle at this point is up to third, and two of the hottest teams, they go head-to-head, and this was like a heavyweight battle. Newcastle's finally found that confidence. They look like a superpower team. You know, They're not quite there yet, but like they look it. They look hot. Um, they've had a lot, of, a lot of clean sheets, uh, but there really wasn't any like clear-cut chances from either team. Um, there's a lot of yellow cards, which it's like sometimes you referees give like two, three fouls to play with before you get a real yellow card. It's just like this one was like, oh, you stepped on his foot, yellow card. Um, but at the end of the day, the Magpies will be pretty happy to get a point at the Emirates. But Brandon, this was not without its real drama at the very end. Something happened that the Arsenal fans will want back, won't they? Yeah, yeah. Like you're saying, very few clear chances. Um, except, you know, there was two penalty calls, I guess you you could say. Or things that were penalties potentially that weren't called. Um, Gabrielle was drugged down in the box, I think by Dan Byrne, I want to say. That wasn't given. I could see why it wasn't. Maybe in a different game, a less intense game it's given. Um, but this is a top six matchup, top two matchup, I think, at this point. Um, so there's going to be a lot of things being let go. But at the end of the game, in the 96th minute, literally past the last minute, um, Xhaka Cross hits the arm of Jacob Murphy for Newcastle. Um, I... I wish I could do it for you or show it to you some way. Just go go watch the replay. Um, but I want to pose a question to you guys. Is it a penalty? No. I, I For me, it's just like half the time these penalties are raised about is it or is it not, what do you want these defenders to do? They're three feet away from these guys. It's their natural reaction with your bodies. Your, if your feet are leaving the ground, your arms are going to go up instinctually. So it's just like, what do you want them to do? I think it was one of those cases, like, he had no time to react. He's already trying to move his arms out of the way, and it catches his elbow, I think it was. Um, for me, it's not a penalty. It's hard as a defender already to try and play defense, let alone when you have a ball coming at you 50 miles an hour. So for me, no penalty. Uh, I'm a man of the people, uh, truly. And we put a little Twitter poll out there on uh NBC Sports Soccer's tweet uh, of the replay, and we had a 61% uh, voting rate of saying, it. yes, it was a penalty. So just to be stirring the pot a little bit, I can't believe it wasn't called. 96th minute, Arsenal would have gotten three points. What are we talking about here? Uh, obvious <laughs> corruption in the league. I want an investigation. <laughs> uh, without that poll also had 188 votes so make sure you follow us on Twitter so you can vote in the next one if you're not doing so already um, but I'm with Cole I don't think it's a penalty his arm is basically against his body for the most part it hits his elbow 
he's two feet away, if that. I mean, it's just like, and I'm, I will say I'm more on the defender's side of things. Like, it's much, it, the game is now geared towards offensive players. Um, I wish it would go back the other way a little bit. But, yeah, it's not a penalty for me. But in other games, you would see it be called. But I think he was he was calling a really, I don't know if loose is the word, but he didn't call the Gabrielle one. I don't think there's any reason to call that one. Pretty consistent overall, and I guess that's all you can really ask for at the end of the day. Yeah, even if it's a lot of cards, as long as he's consistent in giving out those calls, like you said, we're okay with that. Um, Brighton, though, they do get back from getting thrashed by Arsenal with a batting a beatdown of their own. Everton, poor Everton. Uh, let's talk about them a little bit. Um, <laughs> they've really been struggling recently. They get beat 4-1. Um, more inconsistencies with that handball rule. Um, Brandon, you think that they should have had a penalty themselves? Yeah, Lewis Dunk has his arm extended, not natural position, not it, – it is sort of close when the ball is – it's actually headed at him, goes off of his arm. I'm very surprised it wasn't a penalty. But again, it's it's almost like flipping a coin. Um, but if it's a top six team going against a bottom half team, you best believe they're going to give it to the top six team. There is definitely a bias. I don't know if there actually is, but I think there is. Um, so I'm surprised it wasn't given here. But, oh well, I don't really care. Yeah, no, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. Um, I mean, I guess maybe, like, if it's early enough. But at the end of the day, 4-1, um, Everton really never looks like they were up to it. I think, didn't Brighton score, like, three of their goals in five minutes or something like that? Um, they really just put them away quickly. Uh, but Damari Gray gets a consolation penalty in the 92nd minute um, after he had a really good goal. I think it was against Man City. Um, late as well, which we've seen him do that in the past. For some reason, when it gets close to the 90th minute, he just has bangers on him. Um, <laughs> but who do you want to highlight, Brandon, that might be worth some conversation, especially being in January uh, with the transfer window? Yeah, and really, I just want to say this as well. Brighton haven't missed a beat since Potter left. Deserby has been absolutely amazing since coming in. Uh, they were struggling at first to score goals, but now they're really not. They're just really, really solid, and they're definitely a top-half team. Um, and they'll probably be pushing for a European place come the end of the season. We'll see what they'll do in January, but I don't know. Um, yeah, I just want to highlight Sanchez, their goalkeeper. He's just really good. Very good shot stopper. I'm pretty sure he's great with his feet as well. I haven't watched yeah. a ton of Brighton this year, but um, this is going to be the next big sell for Brighton. Mark my words. He will be going for a lot of money to a club. Um, don't know where. Probably potentially out of the Premier League, to be honest, to like a bigger Serie A club or something. But um, very, very good player. And Matoma, uh, I believe he's Japanese. Um, he looks just really good. He's very solid. Two goals in the past two games. I think he has three goals on the year, one assist. Um, but yeah, just making his putting his mark on every game. He just looks really, really bright. So really, really, really exciting things for Brighton. Um, they're just fun. They're just a fun team. They are a fun team. Um, but, you know, <laughs> Everton is not a fun team, to be honest, right now. And I want to pose a question. I'll start with you, Stephen. Are we en- reaching the end of the line for Frank Lampard and his time at Everton and potentially as a top-flight coach? Um, yes and no. Um, I think Everton's strapped into Lampard to the end of the season. Um, I think... This team, you look at them last year, 
uh, barely escaping relegation. And what do they go and do but sell their best goal scorer in Richarlison? Um, so I don't think this should be much of a surprise, to be honest. Um, they knew that it would be a fight again. At least they should have known. And I think there is value in going through what they went through last year with the coach and Frank Lampard. Um, so I find myself on his side. Uh, they go and get a draw against Manchester City, um, and then they just get absolutely beat down. They, their defense looks horrendous. Um, it looks awful. Uh, one of their center backs had a Davidson Sanchez moment being on the ground, just trying to put his head in front of the ball, I think on Brighton's second goal. It was just, ugh. Um, but I think if Everton do go down, Lampard gets the sack, but I'll give him to the end of the season. Unless things start getting, like, undoubtedly bad, which you could argue they're kind of already there. I think they've lost four out of their last five. Um, but I think the draw against Manchester City does something for the board, maybe, uh, for the players in the locker room. It has to give them something against one of the best teams in the world. Um, so I'm on Lampard staying till the end of the season. But if they get relegated, top flight coach, yeah, he might take he might take a siesta from coaching for a while um, if this goes the way it looks like it's going right now. Yeah, I'll hop in and give my two cents. I I think it could be. Um, I know the Everton fans really want him to be there, and they were on his side, especially at the end of the season last year um, and earlier this year when he was on the hot seat supposedly. Um, I don't know how that's turning around. I actually hopped into a Everton Twitter spaces after the game and people were just sort of like sad about it, if that makes sense. Like they were just sad and were like, we don't really want the change, but it seems like it's inevitable at this point. And I don't know. Don't ask me how I hopped into a Twitter space at Everton Twitter space, by the way. Um, but it was awesome. Um, I think, uh, but yeah, yeah. I think um, Sean Dyche honestly might not be a bad appointment for this Everton team. Um, they're not going to go spend a lot of money on a high, high coach. Sean Dyche might be the dude. He'll keep you up. And Everton have way more money than Burnley. They have two ex-Burnley players. I don't know. Who knows? But I could see them going after Dyche. Yeah, it was just Everton – they're in such a precarious position because, Stephen, you mentioned it. Bottom of the league practically last season, you sell Richarlison to Tottenham. A lot of money, which can be good for the club. But then what did you do with that money? Well, they're also building a new stadium. That's a lot of money. So they're in a financially unstable position if you look at it one way, which then I'm sure Frank has some kind of clause where if he does get fired, he'll probably get paid a substantial amount of money. Um, I've heard reports and stuff about him actually being pretty likable, a likable character within the club. People enjoy playing for him. They want to play for him. It's not like they're not playing for Frank Lampard. It's just that they're not very good. And so that's, that's the thing. And and I've, I've said this a lot in the past. And at the end of the day, like it's not always the manager's tactics fault. These players still have to play a game and, a lot of football fans can be very emotional, very reactive. Um, Frank Lampard just really might not have a whole lot to work with at Everton right now, and that's not on him. That's on the ownership to figure out how to improve that situation and 
at the end of the day, he'll be the scapegoat. They'll move on. They'll be back in the same exact position in two years if he does get fired. It's just, it's cyclical. You don't change things. Well, it's going to come back to bite you a few years later. Uh, but at the end of the day, I feel bad for the guy. And it's, it's a race right now between him and David Moyes and who's going to get fired first, it seems like. Because David Moyes and West Ham were also slumping, especially to where they were last season. They finished like seventh and they got a spot in the uh, Europa Conference League. So it's just, it's crazy in the Premier League. And we love that. We love everything that's going on top to bottom. There's always something to talk about with every single team, which is just awesome to, awesome to be a fan of. But Brandon... New Year's Day. Well, I'll start with New Year's Eve. You had a rough New Year's Eve. Our football teams played Ohio State and Georgia. Georgia won, but you got some revenge on New Year's morning to Stephen and I's dismay. Yeah, yeah. First of all, that semifinal was a heck of a game. That was a lot of fun to watch. Steve, Steve's an evil Georgia fan. Um, he was he was really mad at the Ohio State Buckeyes, like we had like we were Auburn or something. Um, but, uh, no bad blood here. I was just hoping for a great game and that it was coming down to a field goal, which I think is stupid. I mean, I don't like field goals, but, yeah, I agree. um, great game, but anywho, I like yeah, I, uh, I woke up the next day and, um, was pleasant, pleasantly surprised getting my revenge. Um, yeah. Aston Villa beating Spurs to nothing. Um, I think you guys had the better first half. Um, I will say slightly, um, I know there was a chance headed off the line by Harry Kane, I want to say, um, or Harry Kane shot it, cleared off the line by Ashley Young. Um, but after that, I mean, I'll pass it back to you with a, a seemingly it's a goalkeeper error with Hugo Lloris and he has those in him, but definitely has to do better on the shot that then gets recycled back around and Buendia scores for the first goal. Yeah, and apparently there's a, there is a statistic that as far as like individual errors leading to goals, he leads the Premier League, which is <clears> never <throat> a statistic you want to lead. Um, mm. But yeah, I think positioning-wise, Buendia must have just been slightly out of his sight, which he may have just been leaning one way, and then when the shot comes in, he's not ready and prepared. So he bodies like he tries to corral with his body and just totally makes a mess of it, spills it out right in front of him. His defenders aren't there to react because why would they? The shots from like 25 ish yards out outside the box. Um, so they're not in position to do that. And who actually scored the goal? It it's Buendia. Yeah. Buendia. Okay. So Buendia comes in, finishes the job. Well, that's never a good thing to have happen. And it's frustrating because Reese has it in him to make incredible saves, but he has it in him as well to do these silly little things. And once again, because of that, now Tottenham goes behind. For the tenth straight game in a row, um, which was just in all competitions, it was the seventh or eighth time in the Premier League, and then you have the uh, Carabao Cup and Champions League and all that as well. Which, oh my gosh, it's just it's insane that the first half this team has been playing. Um, we'll get to them in a second, but what they have been doing up to this point with Villa is just like conceding goals early, looking so shaky in defense. You had the whole Brentford thing with Eric Dyer, and it's just like, what are we doing? Uh, it's very very frustrating. Um, Harry Kane doesn't score in this one. You know, you say oh, he's close on the goal line. Um, but, yeah, not not what we wanted to see, especially against a team against Villa that's, you know, finding their footing under um, the new manager. But, yeah, just not, not what we want to see happen on a, on a New Year's Day where we typically actually do really well. Harry Kane normally scores, I think, the most goals or on his way scoring the most goals in Premier League history on New Year's Day. So not, not mm-hmm. his time this year. 
Yeah, yeah. And I think um, it was just a Unai Emery, I won't call it a master class, but I think he definitely won um, the the tactical battle on the day, got subs right, everything. The second Villa goal, I forget what minute it came in, but again, a really good goal. John McGinn sort of plays, uh, I guess it's a through ball into the box in the air um, to Douglas Louise, who's like marauding from the midfield in between the, the center backs, t- takes it down one time and uh, on the second touch, like outside of the boot, puts it over Larissa's shoulder. Yeah, really good goal, goal, to be honest. Really, really good goal. So, and, then, and yeah, very, very Brazilian, if you will. Um, <laughs> so, uh, and I was actually surprised we didn't give up any goals coming towards the end of that game. Um, under Unai Emery, it just seems like Villa can hang on and get results, which I've never, ever, 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 ever been confident that we could do that come the last 10 minutes of a game. Um, and Tottenham in previous years and this year actually loved the second half and loved being down for some reason and coming back and tying or winning. So the fact that they didn't and Villa stood up, I don't know. It makes me really excited going forward into the, the second half of the season. Um, and I'm sort of really loving life at Villa right now. Well, Emery also enjoyed his time at Arsenal playing against Tottenham. He's always sort of had their number, which... Oh, yeah. He's never lost to him. I think. Never lost to Spurs. Yeah. Yeah, he's always enjoyed his time there. Steven, as a Tottenham fan, um, are you kind of twiddling your thumbs, thinking, like, what do we do next? Where do we go from here? Um, it's the January transfer window. Um, are you full of worries that Antonio Conte might pick up and leave if he's not back this January? What are your thoughts on Tottenham right now? <sighs> yeah, um, here's the thing with Spurs. Um they're, they're they've never been a complete team this year. They know the game plan every single game. It's to suck in the first half and try to make up for it in the second, and you hope that you can. <laughs> um, and the whole Antonio Conte thing about not having he thinks the best we can do is fifth and all that kind of jazz, and we need to spend money in order to catch up. Here's the reality situation: you spent fifty million dollars on Christian Romero, seventy million, sixty million on Richarlison. You brought in. Kulisevsky, um, and like permanently, and you run in Jed Spence. It's like near 150 million, um, and so it's not like we haven't spent money recently. Honestly, Tottenham has been a spending club over the past year and a half. Honestly, um, so then it comes down to coaching. Um, like Brandon said, getting tactically out coached is that's on you, my guy. Like. And when you come back and you get these dramatic victories, that's great. But I go back to the game we lost against Burnley last season, talking about how he literally doesn't know if he wants to be at Spurs anymore. I'm indifferent at this point, uh, talking about Everton's cyclical, you know, cycle of rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. That's kind of I feel like it is for Tottenham. Um, you know, we'll be around there for that top four conversation. We're always two to three signings away. Um, as far as realistically, practically this January... I doubt we'll make any huge signings that are worth any relevance. Um, maybe plug in some holes here and there. But that's where I'm at with Spurs. I think the people ahead of us right now, the teams ahead of us, are bad enough to where we can catch them. Because um, I will say this, like, all my negative things to say about Spurs, they do have a drive and a passion. Um, it just sucks what has to inspire it sometimes. 
but they have it and they go and you've seen it over the past five to six years champions league finals um knocking out manchester city in dramatic fashion coming back in beating Villa when Hyungman Sun had a broken arm or hand or something like that. Like this team just has improbable comeback victories in them. Um, players all over the pitch that can make a difference. But then you see games like this where you're like, Hugo Lloris, what are we doing? Eric Dyer against Brentford. What are we doing? These are international caliber players on the not top 10. Um, honestly. So that's my rant. I'll get off, but practically going forward to actually answer your question i think it's a couple plug the hole signings for january maybe some more depth um but and we've been bitten by the injury bug so getting the players healthy coming back and I, that's honestly those are going to be like new signings for spurs to get richarlison in this team every day it's not lost like how talented of a player that that's not in the starting 11 right now and I, I literally just said it five minutes ago. People so often want to press the panic button when there's just not any real reason to do so. Tottenham have key injuries right now. Kulisevsky, this team is not the same without Dejan Kulisevsky. And that's just how it is. That's the reality of the situation. So without him, we don't have that creative winger on the right. Well, you want to back up. Richarlison's not available either. Lucas Mora is not available right now either due to injury. You're missing key midfielders like Benson Core due to injury, and I think he had a suspension as well, even if he was healthy. Um, we Sun have, hasn't been great. Sonny hasn't been finding his form yet. Obviously, he had a freaking facial fracture, hasn't been able to be the same since he even played in the World Cup and wasn't quite the same player yet. So you're banged up. I also think people are reading way, 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 way too much in the Conte statements and these press conferences. For one, they're pushing the conversation to be about his discomfort at Tottenham. They're asking the questions that are pushing the buttons that way. I really like, he's talked about like he believes in the project and he talks about like, he can't just expand further on. It's like, yeah, whatever. Like he has a contract. He says what he says. I just think people react way too emotionally about it. He's here now. He has the players he wants to play with. I, I don't see the issues. I don't feel like we need to be pressing the panic button. This, like you said, if it was January a year ago against Burnley, well, look how that turned out. I think things are going to be just fine moving forward with Antonio Conte. So. Um, but they do turn things around at the end of the day. They do get the Tottenham 4-0 win against Crystal Palace, um, just with the doctor order for Spurs and Antonio Conte. Steven Harry Kane does score a brace, so that's kind of nice, isn't it? Yeah. Um, he's at the center of it all the whole day. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, real quick on this Harry Kane thing. What you saw against Villa uh, didn't happen against Palace. Harry Kane got to touch the football. Um, and you saw he was at the center of it all. Hockey assist, as Brandon likes to say. Um, uh, the assist to Sun. Uh, and he also had – he was at the center of it all. He had a brace, like you said. Um, and excuse me, he had a regular assist to Sun. He goes up, wins a header, uh, then plays a lob ball. Um, poor defending on Palace, but some puts it away to vent his frustration of not scoring. Um, but two goals, assist, um, passes the ball, um, out for the Doherty goal too. Big build-up play in that as well. He was at the center of it all, and I think it's simple. Just pass the ball. Get the ball to Harry Kane in dangerous spaces. And whether it's 30 yards outside the box, 40 yards outside the box, he can pinpoint passes. He can finish goals. Um, whether it be on the back post or just a tight finish um, on the far post like you saw as well. 
Um, but yeah, Hurricane at the center of it all, and that's what we did not see uh, against Villa. And one one thing we talked about missing key players. Brian Hill had the chance to start his first two Premier Leagues um, Premier League games. He looked really really poor against Villa, but Palace he kind of started to feel a bit more comfortable finding his own kind of groove. Um, he gets an assist to Harry Kane uh, with that beautiful that semi show hair, Brian Hill. Um, <laughs> but we start with Man City. We're going to end with Man City. Uh, the big matchup of the day as we recorded this was Chelsea Man City. Uh, Chelsea's bad luck, man, continues with even more injuries, adding to their already long list of players out. I mean, it's like a full-on starting 11 of just injured players. Raheem Sterling and Christian Pulisic both left the game in the first 20 minutes. I think Sterling was a third minute, and Christian was like the 20th minute um, due to some knocks. Raheem Sterling's was pretty innocuous. didn't look like a whole lot. Um, and then John Stones made a pretty heavy tackle on Pulisic to knock him out at a goal-scoring opportunity. And Brandon, you actually got an ex-Aston Villa in on the game, didn't he? Yeah, Carney Chukwameka comes in for Christian Pulisic. Um, highly rated youngster. He was actually in Villa's first team all of last year and just didn't get a lot of playing time. Um, we also had a really bad manager last year. Um, so I, w- I wish he would have stayed, but I get it. You want to go make a name for yourself. Um, and he almost did in this game. Um, Carney hit the post. Um, but I really thought he and Dennis Zachariah um, were Chelsea's best players on the day. Zachariah came from Monk and Gladback to Juve, I want to say. And then did he come over this summer when Chelsea were splashing cash? I think so. I want to say that's, I wanna say that's right. Um, so, yeah, Carney almost did it for Chelsea, but in the end he did not. No, and what really ended up happening was the only goal of the day was led in by Kepa Rizabalaga on an in-betweener. It's so hard for me to see this because as a keeper, like you have to protect your goal, but you also have to understand what you do is going to affect the run of play. And this ball was like a perfectly placed, like kind of Bermuda Triangle ball where if he goes out, gets a hit on it, well, if he scuffs it or just bats it out that way, well, you have Erling Holling waiting on the end of the ball but if you don't go for it you have to rely on your defenders to make the play behind you he let this one go and Mares comes in the back post beats Cucurella and gets the only goal of the game which a lot of people are calling Kepa out for probably a big big mistake um it was a perfect then, pass by Jack Grealish yeah, I think it really think it was, was perfect. perfectly weighted right spot um sumptuous tasty you could say mm-hmm. um yeah the two subs going on getting dangerous early uh but Chelsea they sit 10th right now on 25 points um only four points from the last five games so you said a lot of injuries that's not good though to be where they are at this point you said that brighton are not missing grand potter well grand potter might be sort of missing brighton at this point um what are chelsea at this point and what can they look to do by the end of the season brandon um i'm not entirely sure like we said they're on 10th uh their run of form is not great they looked up for it today though with like a weird lineup after the injuries so i i want to say they'll be fine but this also might be a long time coming just change of the owners all the stuff that was going on last year change of the manager injuries it's going to be real interesting come the end of the season to see where they're at what do you think steve yeah this is a very good bad team uh no, I think this is a classic um 
finding their footing in the Prem this year with coaching changes. Listen, they've already fired Tuchel. They're probably going to fire Potter. Um, but oh, maybe. I don't know. We can talk about that. Uh, but I could see this team winning an FA Cup, a Carabao Cup, but finishing outside of Europe. Um, you know, the Newcastles and Brightons are here to stay. Um, Tottenham... Uh, Manchester United looks way better um, of recent under Ten Hag. Then you have Manchester City. Then you have ours. It's like there's just no room. There's no room for an unstable Chelsea with injuries. Um, but this is still a very good team. And so I could see this team finishing outside of Europe this year. But who knows? We might see them in the fourth FA Cup final in a row. And maybe they'll lift the trophy. I don't know. Um, I think that's where this team is at. It's they have an embarrassment of riches, um, an embarrassment of finances and notoriety to pull from from around the world. So I think they'll be fine. But this this year isn't it for them. And I'm already we just talked about hitting the panic button, but I don't see a way back for them, let alone the Champions League. No, but let alone just top six. So we'll see. Yeah, I think it's just a rebuild year. They'll have to just kind of swallow this big, fat horse pill of just defeat. Um, it's not it's weird not to say rebuild year. year when they what did they spend three hundred three hundred million dollars and they're so weird more they're rebuilding yeah. the, the ligaments of their injured players I think is what it is <laughs> yeah it's crazy I think what you said Stephen there's no way Grand Potter's out you just brought him in it's I don't think it's on him at all right now too many injuries too much change and speculation i think it's just all a bit of a mess right now they, they're still in champions league by the way yeah um they could still win that make champions league next season and be just fine uh there's you know always a way they're still a talented team they get healthy at the right time come february get some players back they might be just okay and go on a run there so uh anything could happen this club they're they're one of the blue bloods one of the teams that have been around forever um i don't think there's a whole lot to worry about in the long term Sometimes you just have a bad season, you come back. I think that's what Liverpool did, didn't they? They finished like sixth or seventh one year, and they came back, and they were title contenders the next season. So sure. really, stuff happens. That's just how it goes. Um, but that's enough of the Premier League as far as that goes. We had the FA Cup this weekend, so a bit of a break uh, for a lot of the teams. And we want to kind of introduce something a bit new. A lot of people always like to say, yeah, man, I'll bet you five bucks that this team wins. Well, you betcha that we're going to hop in on that trend and do some mini bets for some games. Talking about the FA Cup this weekend in particular with Man City and Chelsea. Steven, if you had to pick one of these two teams and a score result for it, who would you take and what would your score be? Chelsea. Uh, yeah, I'm going Chelsea <laughs> on this one. Listen, like I said earlier, they've played in the last three FA Cup finals. That is extremely rare. They've lost all of them, but they got there. As a Tottenham fan, I can appreciate getting to a final and not winning. Um, So I'm going Chelsea on the upset, beating Man City. Um, Let's go for, you know, let's say Man City drops this one uh, 3-1 Chelsea in favor. Um, That's who I got. I got the upset going on in the FA Cup. Mm, Reagan's going to love to hear that when she listens to this. Nah, I think, you know, they both, both these teams like the cups, um, FA and Carabao. Um, and I think they'll both play pretty strong teams. I do think it'll be similar to what we saw today though. Uh, I think city will win two to one, man. I mean, 
if Chelsea up front look anything like they did today, Aubameyang came on as a sub for Sterling and then came off in the 65th minute. So I don't know where they're going to score goals from. Um, yeah, I feel like on this one, if Man City puts a strong lineup out, I think this one could easily be 2-0 in favor of the citizens. Um, hey, put my money where my mouth is. No, put my... No shot. What's the phrase, guys? Oh, my God. Yeah, on a six wow. soccer. Oh, my God. I'm so bad at this sometimes. I try to be cheeky, and then I just fall flat on my face. It okay. doesn't matter. We're moving on to Man United, Everton. Um, Steven, again, what do you have for the Devils and the Blues, the Toffees? I'm going to go for eh, – no. I'm going for Manchester United. Uh, like I said, they have found form under Ten Hag. He is commanding respect in that dressing room. Cristiano Ronaldo, who? Go to Saudi Arabia. Taken care of. Um <laughs> Marcus Rashford, lead for a team meeting? No, now he's scoring on the team sheet again. Um, I'm going Man U. Even with this B team, I'm going 2-0 to the Red Devils. Huge boost of confidence for uh, Man U after this weekend. Yeah, Everton is not focused on this game. They are hanging on for dear life in the Premier League. Um, this will be a Manchester United 3 nothing win, I think. I think I hear someone gathering some nails, maybe a hammer. I think I hear them getting that final nail in the coffin for Frank Lampard in his time at Everton. Um, depending on how bad this could get, if it's 2-1 in favor of Man U, I think Frank's going to be fine. If it's 4-1, wow. Frank, you out. Uh, however, I'm going to land on the 2-1 train. Everton's shown that they can compete. They just drew Man City a week ago. Um, so they still have it in, in them to perform as a club, as a team. They know that FA Cup, anything can happen. Even the small teams, they can compete. Um, I'll give them some credit where credit's due, but only a 2-1 defeat for them. Um, Frank is to stick around for another week or so. Well, that is you betcha. I like this new segment. I like kind of changing things up every once in a while. But that's going to wrap up our discussion on everything, including the Premier League, the drama between Giovanni Reina and Greg Berhalter, and now Giovanni Reina's parents. We love to see that. Uh, we hope you guys enjoy the discussion, everything in between. Uh, if you have, leave a like on this video. Leave a comment on anything from above. Uh, we'd love to know where you guys think about all this. If you made it this far, please do subscribe. Click the notification bell. That way you're updated every time we post a video. Well, I have been Cole Carter. They have been Brandon Pasnick and Steven Curl. This has been the supporter section. We can't wait to see you guys next time on the next episode. Until then, peace out.